everything was good and like we parked and got out of the car and like got hit by that cold air and that's like my throat hurts so hopefully everything's good and uh there will be no like fatalities or anything you'll be able to hear me the whole time it's really great to be here with you uh how many of you is this your first youth uh youth retreat like you were it's the first time you've been at a youth retreat all right a couple one two so check out those hands make sure those people who are new feel really comfortable all right um, how many of you have been to every youth retreat since junior high? Okay, so a lot, a number of you. Wow, awesome. That's great. Retreats are not something I grew up with in, uh, in high school. Like We had like this one camp that we would go to for uh, when I finally got to high school. We got to go to this camp, but it was a three-day weekend, you know, three-day weekend camp. And we had to work, like we had to do manual labor. Like we had to mix and pour concrete. We had to like do all these repairs to this this camp where they trained missionaries. So we would work all day long, like child labor, and then in the evening uh, we would go to hear sessions. But everybody was was falling asleep. Like seriously, everybody. So it wasn't like the like the best retreat experience of my life. And then I came to Lighthouse and I got to be a youth intern at Lighthouse and helped out with high school ministry back in 2011 through 2012. And then 2013, I, I had to stop sadly. But I just love Lighthouse and I love these youth retreats. I hope you can make the most out of it. I think there's one thing that was maybe even, that I missed out on even more than retreats growing up though. And I would say, is the one thing I really wanted to have, and I wasn't even sure how to go about getting it. It felt strange, but I knew I kind of needed someone like that. But I, I, it was having a friend, like a really strong friend. I think I knew, I think I started to really know in high school that in order to really follow Christ, I needed someone's help. This is so hard. And I had like great preaching, which is good. Like we need good preaching. I had good small group times. I would at great worship times. I had quiet times. I would read through the Bible. Maybe you guys have a lot of those things, but you still struggle to live a life centered on Christ. I would say, do you have like a relationship that helps you center on Christ? That someone who knows everything about you, like they know all your secrets and they not only fully know you, but they fully accept you. And there's someone you can actually, who can actually help you move toward Christ. And that's so special. And it's so vital. I would say it's more vital than maybe anything else uh, in the Christian life, having someone who knows you well and knows how to help you seek Christ. We desperately need that. And if you don't feel like you have that, I think most of us don't. I don't think I had someone like that in my life until I came to Lighthouse. You guys are at Lighthouse. And so I pray that this weekend will be a time where you do build deeper, strong relationships, iron, sharpening iron. And you really see that like the whole point of this life is to know Christ. And so to build relationships around your whole purpose is, is so important, even in high school. Well, so as we as you hear me preach, I hope that that's special. But I hope what's even more special for you is the conversations that come out of your time in uh, our study of the word. Well, tonight and throughout this uh, weekend, we're going to be looking at the gospel and how we see the gospel as central in everything. I think that the title of our retreat is The Gospel in Everyday Life. It's just this way we need to live life centered on Christ. When he is the sun, kind of all the planets align around him. That's what we're made for. That's when we're most, most joyful. 
That's when life starts to make sense. Um, to help us get there tonight, we're just going to start by looking at what the gospel is. And to help us do that, we're going to look at Colossians 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 25. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 25. And my prayer as we start this retreat is that we would see clearly the story of the gospel and how it not only saves us, but, but changes every detail of our lives. So that's what I want us to explore in our passage tonight. Um, so please follow along as I read Colossians 1, 15-25. He is the image of the invisible God, talking about Christ, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affections for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Let me pray for us. Father, you have given us life, every breath, every moment, and everything that we need in Christ. We have a hope in him that we cannot find an end to. The more we explore the hope of our redemption, the more we are just lost in wonder and joy, yet we often live our lives apart from that hope. We turn our, our hearts back on you. We walk away. And yet nothing inside this world, this whole world, can hold our hope. So, Father, we just ask that tonight and this weekend you would turn our hope back to the beautiful story of the gospel this evening. Remind us of the hope that Christ is in our lives. In his name we pray. Amen. So Paul ends these verses, these um or close to the, in verse 23, he ends these verses by calling the Colossians not to shift from the hope of the gospel. He warns them, like, don't shift from the hope of the gospel. And that's where I want to start. What is the gospel and why should your hope not shift from it? Uh, the gospel is the story of God relentlessly pursuing rebellious sinners and making himself known to us no matter what it cost him to do that. So if you read the Bible from cover to cover, you see this one clear, cohesive story. It's the, the good news 
that through Christ, God has redeemed us, brought us to himself so that we can know him. And we use the word story a lot when we talk about the gospel, the story of the gospel. But I think it's a really important word. I think it's the best word for talking about the gospel or to talk about scripture because a story is really the only way to see what somebody is like. To understand a character, you need a story. In story, time passes. Right? Comforts give way to pain. You see good times and bad times. You see someone's heart. You see the things that are important to them. What they want more than anything. So think about the people who really know you. Chances are you would say they know you because they've known you for a while. They know your life. They know your story. Or at least you've told them your story. They've observed your life. Maybe they've seen it over time. They've cared for the details of what's happening. Or at the very least, yeah, you've told them your story and now they know you. Well, the Bible is the story of the gospel. And we call it a story because it beautifully describes Christ, who he is. But we're in that story too. Like we're in the story of the gospel. But we're actually the tension in the story. We are entering the scene of the Bible as the bad guys that Christ has to deal with. He has to deal with us in order to rescue us. And so one way to make a bad story good is just to wipe out the bad, right? That's like every Avenger movie, everything. You just wipe out the bad, right? But Christ is something really different than that. In the gospel, he enters history, and rather than just wiping out the bad guys, he takes the place of the bad guys and suffers their punishment, their consequences on the cross for all they have done. The story continues, though. Now it's a story about how we, because we are saved and rescued by this Redeemer, get to know him and hope in him. Story is the best word to describe the gospel because it is the clearest way to understand the love of Christ on display in Scripture. I think this is why we love to hear people's testimonies, right? You love to hear people's experiences. Think about how you would answer the question, right? How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? This is not the question, but this is a preliminary question. Okay, a lot of you. If I came up to you and said, how was your trip to the, the Grand Canyon? Right? I am not asking that in order to hear like a visitor's guide to the Grand Canyon. Right? I, I want to see you. I want to enter your experience in that story. Like, What was it like when you saw it? Like, How close to the edge did you get? Or did you stay really far back and why or why not? Did you hear the rush of wind go through the caverns and around the canyon? Did you see the sunrise? Did you feel how cold it was in the morning? What did it feel like? I don't care about the fact that it's 277 miles long and 18 miles wide. I care about you. Like I'm asking you because I care about you, your experiences, your life. I want to know you. Scripture is telling us a story about Christ. Every time you open your Bible to study it, is that what you anticipate? I want to see Christ. Scripture is not a list of facts or a documentary. The Bible is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not mainly a book of like answers to life's problems. It's not a kind of a casebook of characters to imitate, like dare to be a Daniel. It's not even mainly like this system of doctrines. The Bible is a story of the gospel to show us Christ. Christ. 
It's a story that focuses on God's relationship to us from the beginning, from Adam, from the beginning of the human race, and how man, us, you and me, fail, just like constantly fail again and again and again, and how God comes and enters history again and again with grace upon grace upon grace until Christ comes, the Redeemer, and rescues us from our sin, reconciles us to God. And and the rest of the story is how he just keeps bringing us closer to him until we're finally home with him. God shows us himself to restore and to grow a relationship with us so that we could know him. He entered history to rescue his creation, you and me, which means that every part of scripture should be feeding into that relationship. It's an incredible, pers- incredibly personal story about a personal God. So do you see why Paul hoped to hear that the Colossians had not shifted from the hope of the gospel? Because hoping in the gospel means to hope in the person that the story is about. It's not like shifting from the hope of these doctrines or these beliefs or these facts. It's, that's part of it, but it's about hope in Christ, the knowledge and the enjoyment and the worship of Christ. To change the story, to add to it, to take away from it, it doesn't just change the story. It changes who Christ is. This is the gospel on which we stand. This is why we love our Bibles. It's because we love Christ. It's a story that gives us Christ. That's why we love it. So to help us keep from turning away from Christ, Paul gives us these two pictures of how our hope in the gospel and in the supremacy of Christ, uh, excuse me, pictures of how to grow our hope in the gospel. He gives us the supremacy of Christ and the fullness of Christ. Those are going to be our two points tonight. These kind of two portraits of Christ to kind of fuel our hope in him. The first is the supremacy of Christ. In verse 15, Paul starts this litany of amazing truths about Jesus Christ. And it's probably the most concentrated depiction of the glories of Christ in the whole Bible. I want to just like list them for you. And I I put them there so you don't have to write them all down. (coughs) I think there's 14. But then we're going to come back and focus on one. Okay. I'm just going to read this. I want you to, as I read this, try to find the one that you feel like is the most different from the other 14 or 13. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Verse 15, he is the firstborn of all creation. That is the specially honored first and only son over all creation. 16, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All this is about Christ. Verse 16, All things were created through him. Verse 16, all things were created for him. You just stop at each one and be like, did you know that? That everything was created for Christ? Verse 17, he is before all things. 17, in him, all things hold together. 18, he is the head of the body, the church. 18, he is the beginning. 18, he is the firstborn from the dead. So that means his resurrection from the dead makes it possible for us to be alive forever. 18, in everything he is preeminent. That means supreme. 19, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 20, he reconciles all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven. And verse 20, he makes peace by the blood of his cross. Now, if you have the time, I think this list is worth memorizing. 
if your heart ever wavers or grows cold, I would say go here. If you ever like, Pastor Tim, I do not feel my faith today. I feel like a million miles away from God. This is who Christ is. Come here. Let it awaken admiration, amazement, and, and joy for who he is. Now, which of these kind of – does anyone want to take a step? Like which one? I mean there's a lot of differences and things like that. But is there one that you see like that's just kind of different than the rest? The last one. Yes. Okay. Exactly. The last one. That's what I want to focus on. The 14th amazing truth in this list. He made peace by the blood of his cross. So do you see like the difference between that and everything else? What does it mean that the creator and sustainer and the goal of all the universe shed his blood on the cross for you and me? Like all the other attributes in this list of, of Christ, they just exalt him. They reveal his supremacy and how awesome he is. And then the last one comes along and shows his humility, his desire to suffer for you, his defilement, his shame, that he would, what he would endure so you could know him. He had to suffer for our sin if we were ever going to see him and worship him. And this is the depths of his love. The one supreme over all made himself servant of all, lowest of all, so that you could be saved. The creator of heaven, the creator of the universe, set aside his crown, who is despised and rejected. By everybody, Isaiah 53, he's, it says he was like someone from whom men hide their faces, right? He had no form and appearance that we would feel drawn to him, right? He didn't come to this earth looking like a celebrity or someone that would get a lot of likes on Instagram. He looked, he was despised. He would get zero likes. He was beaten, nailed to a cross, lifted up, Stabbed, spat upon, slandered, and as he hung on the cross suffocating, he felt the infinite punishment of our sin in the form of the wrath of God poured out on him for you and for me. Now, we just read a pile of like these 14 amazing facts about that, that show us the glory and the greatness of Christ. Yet for you and me, he was forsaken by his own father. He was rejected more than you and I could ever be rejected so that we could be accepted by him. So even if you never have that friend who fully knows you and fully accepts you and helps you see Christ, you have Christ. And he fully knows you. Through Christ's death and resurrection, he took away the power of sin and death, which were the only enemies that threatened to keep us from God, and he brought us close. That's what verse uh, 20 means, that Christ made peace through the blood of his cross. So what destroyed our peace was our sin. Yet the gospel is the story of how Christ destroyed that sin in order to bring us peace once again through his blood to reconcile us, to bring us near. That relationship is what made Eden paradise for Adam and Eve. And that relationship of worship is what's going to make heaven paradise for each one of you who believe in Christ for all eternity. 
So the question that you have to wrestle with this retreat is, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe this about who Christ is? If not, why not? And if you do, if you say, I believe that, what difference does it make? How does having that relationship of worship change you and change everything in your life? Because it should change everything. As we look around the world, you can see we live in a world where Christ is not made supreme. Even though he gave up heaven, came to earth, died on a cross, died our death. The world doesn't recognize the rescue. And very few, very few have left their story of rebellion and moved into the story of redemption. Scripture says that the road is narrow of salvation. So we live in a world where Christ, who is everything, creator, sustainer, ruler, the goal of the universe, he's not a blip on the radar in the hearts and minds of the majority of the men and women in this entire world. And if we are honest, we, as people who live in this world and still have the flesh, we struggle to make him a blip on our radars day after day. How many of you have flown in a plane? Okay, it's amazing. Is that everyone? Everyone has flown on a plane. I didn't fly on a plane until I went to college. It's awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> you win. Um, so sometimes I think that God must feel like, a, um, a, like an airline flight attendant giving a safety speech. I, I honestly think like he has to feel a little bit like that. Right? Do you remember like the first time you rode an airplane? And like how well you listened to that flight attendant giving that safety speech. Okay. I, I remember, maybe I was a freshman in high school and I had a little fear of planes. I was like on a small plane, freshman in college, excuse me. And I was hanging on to that flight attendant's every single word. Like her words were words of life to me. I was basically committing what she was saying to memory, right? I knew where both of my available life jackets were. I knew the whole process of exiting the plane. And when she finished, I reviewed the safety manual in my seat pocket. And I, I was ready because I, my life depended on how well I heard and listened and held on to her words. But nowadays, like when it's time for a safety speech, I just, you know, I probably do what you do. Or I don't know, maybe you don't do this, but I like put on my headphones, open my book or whatever. And the airlines like have somehow figured this out. So they started making these really awesome videos that are like hilarious. or they're like music videos that I just kind of want to watch. Um, and they kind of sneak in the rules that way. But I think we really treat the gospel like this at times. I mean, even as I started sharing the gospel with you tonight, what went through your mind was like, I know this so well. Man, how many times do I have to hear the gospel? It's like this worn out flight attendant safety speech. So what happens when that is where our hearts are is we just don't make Christ supreme. It's old news. Every Sunday, every quiet time, every, it's just the same thing. When we're first hearing it, we're like desperate, right? This is life changing. This is so important. It will save my soul. And after a while, week after week, we let the glory of Christ and the story of his redemption simply become these like this background noise in our lives. We forget the price that Christ paid or it becomes this small thing. We might still think that Jesus is the right way. But as we look at the world, it's hard to believe some days he's the better way. In fact, he feels just like another piece of furniture in our Christian homes. So we fail to exalt him. 
So to speak to this, Paul gives another hope, another hope to kind of wake us up to his supremacy. The first hope of the gospel is the supremacy of Christ. The second hope moves us to see his fullness, the fullness of Christ. I want to take a moment and look at the word fullness in verse 19 that Paul uses to describe Christ. What does fullness mean? It means all of God, everything God is, as infinite, loving, wise, sovereign, right? God, everything God is in his essence dwells within Jesus, right? Verse 19 is, along with all these other verses, are basically saying Jesus is God. He is full of grace and truth, John 1, 14. He's full of power and authority. Knowledge of him is all that is necessary for life and godliness, According to scripture, Ephesians 1, 3, we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, right? We don't need to pray down more blessings. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ, according to Ephesians 1, 3. Fullness means he is the source, and therefore, that means he's enough. As John 1, 16 tells us, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, right? Christ who is fully God, supreme over all, brought us to himself so that we could taste a, a life where we have everything. Only we get to have that because we have Christ. When you feel ashamed because of your sin or because of something that was done to you, he has grace to restore how you see yourself. When you feel rejected by peers, by parents, by somebody, he has acceptance for you. When you feel bored, he has meaning and life for you. When you feel tired, he has strength for you. When you face temptation, he has a way of escape. When you feel lost in the dark, he is the light for you. When you feel unsatisfied, you have the fullness of Christ to satisfy your heart. And this is our daily joy. This is our hope in the gospel. We get Christ. We get his fullness. Paul uses fullness to turn our attention to what we have been saved to, right? It's easy to talk a lot about what we've been saved from, like we don't have to go to hell and maybe we won't struggle with sin as much, right? What have we been saved to? If we miss that, we miss the gospel because the gospel is the story of Christ, right? Paul is saying, this is who you've been saved to. And look, from that fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And only as you enjoy that fullness will people see Christ in you. And it's a fullness that others can see. This is the way you are a light in a dark world. You are not a light in a dark world by kind of reading the Bible and trying to remember like some moral values. You are a light because you love Christ and because of that, you live like him. Here's some practical ways you can just show the fullness of Christ to others. If you are enjoying his love in the morning, like 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, you're having your quiet time or whenever you do that, you can, you can love because you are enjoying the love of Christ and receiving that fullness. Here are a few practical ways you can show it. Love in the ordinary moments. Right? Imagine just seeing your day-to-day -day interactions with people tomorrow at breakfast, tonight as you go to bed, that they're meant to be part of telling a good story of the gospel. What is one simple step you can take to love one of your friends more effectively, more patiently, more graciously? 
to love your parents more selflessly. Then take that little step again and again, over and over. Show the fullness of Christ. A second way is love through prayer. This is more simple and more profound than we realize, but can you ask someone else for prayer? What stops you from saying, can you please pray for me? Can you ask your small group leader, please pray that I would have a friend that helps me seek Christ? Can you ask that? Can you share with those praying for you uh, what God has done for you? This is a clear way the supremacy of Christ and dependence on the fullness of Christ is, is put on display. Like, I need people to pray for me if I'm going to seek Christ. If you don't have a praying relationship here or back home, then I would just tell you, you are living on the thin ice of do-it-yourself Christianity. And when that ice breaks, where will you go? You will discover this isolating, lonely moment. You will not be able to endure the crisis that you will face. Please look for someone to lean on who knows you and who cares for your soul. Number three, love through admitting weakness. Please don't conceal your, your neediness from people in the church who love you. We need to stop hiding. Being needy is our basic condition. We are here. We have retreats because we're needy. But how many conversations expose that neediness? Being needy is our basic condition. It's what gathers us not only here at retreat, but around the foot of the cross. There's no shame in it. It's the position we are all in, myself included. Confess sin to those you know who know you. Share your idols with them as you come to know the things that compete for your worship of Christ. When you know your own neediness and the needs of those around you, you will be equipped to love more and allow people to love you more. Christ will become more central and more supreme. And fourth, love when it's hard. Is there someone here, maybe, or someone back home that you would say, it is hard to love them? That's the place where Christ would want to be displayed the most. There has to be this imbalance in our output of love for it to tell the story of the gospel. Because the story of God's love for us is a story of, of mercifully unfair love toward us. We did not deserve his love, but he gave it to us. All of these steps of love can only happen in our lives as you are enjoying the love of your Savior, as he is supreme, as you see him as enough, the fullness of him is enjoyed in your life. In the book, uh, The Horse and His Boy, which is one of the Chronicles of Narnia, there's this talking horse named Huynh. She's escaped the slavery that held her captive for most of her life, and the story follows Huynh's journey toward freedom. There's a few other characters in there, but... Quinn is who I'm focused on. Okay, her journey to return to the land of Narnia. And there's this moment right at the end of the book, right when Quinn is about to enter Narnia. This is like lifelong goal, right? I, the one thing on her bucket list is to get back to Narnia. She's about to do it, and she sees Aslan. Now, Aslan is the lion in Narnia that portrays Christ. By all everybody here knows that. But Quinn is standing in this garden on the edge of Narnia, about to enter the land of her freedom. The one thing she's wanted most. And suddenly Aslan reveals himself. And this is her reaction. This is what she says. Or this is what the book says. There was about a second of intense silence. 
Then Huynh, though shaking all over, gave a strange little neigh and trotted across to the lion. Please, she said. You're so beautiful. You may eat me if you'd like. I'd sooner be eaten by you than fed by anyone else. The, the sight of Aslan made her desire for Narnia, her dream, her one life-defining dream, just like vanished, like disappear into the background. She didn't care if her life ended at that moment as long as she had Christ. Christ revealed himself to us so we would want him that way so deeply that we could say, like, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. And if I have him, he is enough. This has to be our reaction to Christ because of the gospel. Knowing him changes what we want, what we long for and hope in. The great joy of our reconciliation is that we are permanently brought near to Christ by the grace of God. You are kept in that close proximity by his grace. Nothing can change that. And as you enjoy his fullness this weekend, you will have a greater desire to build his kingdom and a, a diminishing desire to seek your own. Finally, Paul ends by kind of taking us into the future, to our personal future. He says in Colossians 1, 22 and 23, that those who continue in the faith, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, will pre be presented as holy, blameless, and above reproach before him, that is Christ. And he wants us to see that our daily joy in our reconciliation comes from the steady faith that is going to give is going to give way to sight. He's not saying you can lose your salvation, so you better follow the right path. He's saying that true faith, faith that is from God, that is truly about what Christ has done for you, is a faith that doesn't give up, that doesn't mix Christ with the world to try to make him fit the things that we want. True faith is steadfast and strong, and it lasts because it continues to hope in the gospel the story of the gospel that centers around Christ every day. The hope doesn't waver. The faith is stable only because the gospel that you hope in is unchanging. This is the hope of the gospel. And we want you to consider this weekend, do you believe it? And if you say you believe this gospel, are you living with the gospel as your hope? What God cares about is what your heart and your life says about Christ. So what is written on your heart about who Christ is? Do you believe he is your savior and Lord and greatest treasure? Do you live like Christ is supreme and satisfying? We, we deny ourselves so much if we leave him out of our lives. The desires, what desires right now are you struggling to bring to God? In what parts of your life is Christ not supreme? What, what parts of your life this weekend do you want to consider? How can I trust Christ more in this area and this area? I want to encourage you to just take a moment and write those things down. I want you to just try to deal with them before God this weekend. I want to learn how to make Christ more supreme in these areas. Write one or two down. Through the gospel, we have this complete, perfect Savior. So may we leave this place seeking to bring him our complete lives for his glory in all things. Let me pray for us. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you that in your love you sent Christ and that through Christ we have 
everything we could ever hope to imagine. We have life. We have love. We have acceptance. We have freedom. We have the hope that we don't have to be controlled by sin or this world. And Lord Christ has given us everything. He has given us every part of himself so that we could know and worship him and spend eternity deepening our worship, deepening that love and seeing it always unsearchably, beautifully rich. Yet, Father, we hold so much back. So often we hold so many different parts of our lives back. We want to have Christianity maybe on one day or on one part of our day. And Lord, we we want to make Christ part of our lives, but we don't want to make him the point of our lives. Forgive us, Father. Help us to seek Christ. Help us to understand what it means to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength so that others may see the light of his love shining forth from our lives. In Christ we pray. Amen.